This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 379, recorded Wednesday, May the 16th, 2018. Jason, you and I are a couple of lucky bastards. We are. Why are we lucky bastards? Well, I, maybe I should say I am, because we just recorded about a minute uh, of podcast and before I realized that I had forgot to start recording. So we lost a whole minute of podcasting, which actually isn't so bad. Right. Well, in that in that uh, in that light, yes, you're absolutely right. I was thinking that you're you're saying lucky bastards instead of stupid bastards. <laughs> I did, but I meant stupid on my part because <laughs> I, I I just feel lucky because I didn't record an hour of podcast before I realized yeah. I had forgot to start recording. So that's the thing. That's the thing is that uh, luckily it was only a minute. Usually we go through a, a ritual of starting, you know, the the recording and 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 saying things that. Like I can see my waveform and blop, blop, blop and stuff like that. And that's usually a good <laughs> cue to the other person in case uh, they don't start recording. But we didn't do any of that. No, we didn't. And maybe because it's Wednesday and the yeah, schedule is all off. We're off. Well, the schedule is off because of our work travel schedules. Both of us have been traveling for work a lot lately and it's messing up the schedule. So it's uh, just too much. It's I, I don't like it personally. No, I, I'm kind of with you. I, I don't like it either. And, uh, you know, I I don't know if there's anything we can do about it though. We'll have to just make it work. But this there's week, only one thing I can think of that we could do. What's that? Go with each other when we travel. So when when I travel to uh, Lexington next time, you, you got to come with me. That's not and a you terrible gotta, you, idea. Your entire job during that entire trip is to a bring all the equipment. Okay. And make sure that it's set up and working so that uh, we're in, we can set up a little recording studio in uh, in your hotel room. Because God knows and, that is a problem we have had. Get the getting the equipment to work. Yeah, it's the internet. It's the internet in hotels. Everything's off, right? But yeah. if we're in the same room at the same time, as long as you bring in a little portable studio, uh, I think we can do it. You know, I think and then when you travel, I have to go with you. Right. Okay. Well, we're going to, it's either that or we both quit our jobs. Done. <laughs> I'm okay. going to type an email right now. <laughs> P- Dear boss, I quit <laughs> to podcast full time. <laughs> Effective yesterday. Oh, wait, yeah. no, that's not good because I wouldn't get paid for today. Anyway, we'll figure it out. All right. Anyways, it's Wednesday, everyone. Thanks for bearing with us. This coming, you know, after after this week, next week, we're both in town, so I think everything should be fine. Yeah, but the week after I'm traveling. Well, we'll deal with that when we get to it. Yeah. Uh, so we are here, of course, to talk about Season 4, Episode 5 of Fear the Walking Dead. And uh, with all that discussion out of the way, I think we should just dive right in. Cool. Hey, Chris and Jason, this is Lee in St. Catharines, and you're watching The John Dory Show. Oh, I mean Naomi. Oh, I mean Laura. Thank you, Lee in St. Catharines, for that title read. This episode, of course, is called Laura. He got it. It was there at the end. He did. He got it at the end. I'm, I'm very proud of him. Uh, and this is a bottle episode all about the story behind John Dory and Laura slash Naomi. So, bottle episode on Fear the Walking Dead. This show hasn't done too many of them, I don't think. I, I mean, I didn't really think back too far, but I feel like all the bottle episodes I can think of are on The Walking Dead, not Fear the Walking Dead, uh, for the most part. But this 
is the definition of a bottle episode. One location, pretty much one or two characters and really it influences or gives us some information about these characters and about the overall story, but doesn't really have a direct impact on it until the very end, I think. Right. So what did you think of this episode, Jason? Were you excited to learn more about John Dory's story and how he came to meet Naomi slash Laura? I'm glad you asked me that, Chris, because I want to turn it back on you. I'm, I was thinking about this uh, today while I was doing some dishes. Uh, I'm not entirely sure that I am consistent on what I like and what I don't like. So I definitely have an opinion in that regard about this particular episode. But I want to ask you what you think I thought of this episode. Okay. Okay. This is very interesting. So you don't, I'll tell you what I thought in a minute. Um, but if I had to take a guess, let's see what about your opinion. I mean, I know you love John Dory as a character. Uh, I, I don't know if you have quite the same affection for Laura slash Naomi. Right. Uh, although we don't know very much about her. I think going into this episode, we knew a little bit more about, about John Dory. And I'm going to say that I'm going to say that you liked this episode and I, I'm going to say that you liked it quite a bit. Okay, good. Cause I did. I, I love the episode. I thought it was great. Oh, and amazing. I just wanted to make sure that, uh, I'm not just flaky and making up random opinions. Uh, anyway, it was, it was concerning me. It's like, do I really, am I consistent in what I like? And is it predictable? So thank you. Yes, I, I love this episode. I thought the acting was brilliant. I really like the John Dory character. I like the Naomi Laura character. I like uh, uh, Garrett Dillahunt and uh, uh, what's her name? Actress? Uh, Jenna Elfman. Is that yeah, her name? Jenna Elfman. Uh, I didn't, other than Dharma and Greg, I don't really know anything that she's ever been in. Uh, so I see Dharma in this character because mm-hmm. uh, I watched the. And I guess a large amount of Dharma and Greg. I'm not really sure how that happened, but... Uh, it's interesting. Anyway. Uh, no, I thought that Jenny Elfman did a good job. I thought uh, it was a fantastic episode. I loved it. I was engaged and enthralled throughout the entire thing, even though a lot of it was just sitting and playing Scrabble. And I hate Scrabble. How can you hate Scrabble, man? Scrabble's oh, a good game. It's all words. I mean, if you're going <laughs> to... Yes, exactly. You have to play a theme. If you're going to play Scrabble, you have to play uh, Dirty Scrabble, or you have to play Movie Scrabble, or you have to do something with a theme. Body Part Scrabble? Yeah, that could do. Okay. But yeah, I'm, I'm bad at making large words, you know? I'm, <laughs> I'm really, you know, as far as the thesaurus goes, I'm uh, really, 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 really good at it. <laughs> but bad at it, I mean. Okay, well, let, let's let's keep going on this episode. So, I, I want you now to tell me what I thought of this episode. I, I think you liked it. I did. I fucking loved it. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was fantastic. I was excited to hear you say you liked it too because I wasn't sure that uh, I wasn't sure I was sort of genuine in my feelings about it too because I came out after watching it the first time, going, "Holy crap, that was amazing!" and and then I watched it a second time, and and I felt exa- exactly the same way. So, I'm excited that both of us are are on board for this episode. But I think this might be the best bottle episode that either show has done. And you got to, I mean, that's saying something when you consider Clear and some of the other stuff that the the Walking Dead has done. This this was that good, I think. 
I'm going to go you one better. I think this is probably one of the best bottle episodes I've ever seen, period. Of any show. Of, of any show. And, you know, granted, I didn't really start paying attention to bottle episodes until the last couple of years. So there, I know there's a couple in Breaking Bad. Uh, but as far as I'm concerned, this is probably the best bottle episode I've ever seen. Well, yes. And, and, and I would maybe agree with that. And I think that it, it it's really saying something that they could take these two characters that we've basically just met. And, you know, I know everyone fell in love with John Dory the moment he came on screen, not as much for Naomi, but two characters we don't really know much about. And they throw in this bottle episode. The ones on the main show, you know, are about, are about Morgan, a character that I feel like we knew a little bit better. Uh, Maybe not, maybe we didn't know him that well, but I think when we watched him in clear, we already knew him a little bit better. Um, and then, of course, my brain is failing me right now. What's what's that other? What's the other bottle episode on on um, on Walking Dead? Oh, the Eastman one with Morgan and Eastman. Oh, again, right. Yeah. Again with Morgan. So you know, Eastman is there, but we have a character Morgan that we know at that point really well. So that's easier to stomach a little bit as a viewer, I think, because you kind of have a familiarity with the people you're seeing on screen. This one, we've got John Dory, who is pretty much loved by everybody. We know a little bit about him, not much. And we've got Naomi, who I think we don't know. We've, we know virtually nothing about. Everything yeah. we learned about her was in the previous episode with um, uh, Alicia at the water park. Yeah, if that's her real name. Well, that's right. We, we don't know if Naomi's even her real name exactly. But they managed- I'm pretty sure Laura's her real name. John Dory got it right. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm 90% sure that Laura's her actual given, her given name. Well, what a, what a great scene where he does give her that name. But I'll talk about that in a minute. But I just think taking these two characters that you would think would be kind of a tough sell to put on screen for the bulk of the hour, just the two of them, yeah. and make it compelling and uh, just fascinating to watch um, and make you care so much about the both of them that uh, I think this is, this is just a a feat of TV engineering here by the writers and everyone involved. Yeah. And they weren't, uh, they're also not cardboard characters. They're, they're complex. Yeah. John Dory gets angry and he starts, uh, he starts stabbing that one zombie, uh, the, uh, the machete zombie yep. that came into the Jeep. He right. was stabbing, he was angry. And then uh, when Laura took the pistol from his box, that one time he was, he got mad at her. So it's not just, he's this, you know, nice guy that is just calm and collected and always, uh, you know, just this, this rock of solidity for everybody else. He, uh, he has some cracks. There's some cracks in there and he talks to himself, which is, uh, you know, as a, you know, a mitigation against crazy, I guess. Sure. Well, I, I thought that was the whole opening sequence, the cold open. And then even after the opening uh, credit um, screen there with him trying to figure out the Scrabble word when he's playing Scrabble by himself, that's kind of talking to yourself. But I think it's just such a brilliant way to show somebody trying to stay sane. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're using this. He was using the Scrabble game to keep his mind occupied while he was otherwise going about sort of mundane tasks, like the, the routine of keeping the, keeping the water clean and, and just managing the house and picking food and chopping wood and stuff like that. Right. I think that was brilliant. 
Yeah, it was really nice. And uh, and Laura, uh, Jenna Elfman, also, the Laura character is also very complex, right? She's got some issues. And I know we're going to talk about the scene where uh, they're watching a movie and John Dory falls asleep and she mentions that she lost her child. Yep. Uh, are we going to talk about that or should we talk about that now? Or is, is the cat out of the bag? We have to talk about it now. Well, hold on. I'm just, just before we get into some of the more the details, I just wanted to right. say that um, – these two characters work so well together. They have an unbelievable chemistry on scene on screen. I thought, and I thought I, I believed every second of every, every scene between these two, they were just so natural together and, and just worked beautifully as two actors playing two characters. So I think that was great. And then what really made this episode great for me is that it was full of just small but important moments. And that was one of them when when he falls asleep and she mentions that. But I just made a quick list here, you know, things that you wouldn't think were were just really important to to show, like them sitting and watching movies or learning how to catch a fish or clean a fish after you've caught it, you know? Uh the whole thing about wearing boots versus shoes, even though that turned out to be an important thing in the end. Uh, eating, eating soup, you know, just making food and eating it, uh, playing Scrabble together, you know, all these little things that were showing them becoming closer and closer as two people, I thought was amazing. And, and, and the episode was full of stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I, and it, it was, and it, uh, it's nice to see that, uh, you know, two people in a very small enclosed space becoming closer and closer and closer. Um, that actually is, it mirrors reality. And I'm going to uh, mention a, I don't even know what the name of the show was. It was a Canadian show about um, homesteading. So they sent these couples up north to live for a year off of the land. And they had to build a cabin and they had to till some land and they had to uh, survive for a year just off the land. And these this one couple, they were talking about the fact that they lived in this one room shack, no bigger than a... Uh, uh, a shed that you would buy at Home Depot and then put on your, uh, put on your property. Just this little tiny thing, maybe eight feet by eight feet. And there's a bed and a kitchen and, uh, all the shelves and stuff. And you lived with the, with, with uh, like they lived together in this one shack for a year. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, it, I love my wife. I don't know if I'd live in an eight by eight shack with her for a year, but then (laughs) when they came out of this, they said we had a really hard time getting back into reality because, uh, we got so close that it was hard not to be that close all the time. So having two people live in this kind of proximity is, uh, you know, it's very conducive to, to becoming extremely close and it rings true to me. Well, you're either going to become extremely close or you're going to end up killing each other. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a murder homicide, murder with suicide for sure. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. Exactly. And luckily in our case, John Dory and Naomi went the closeness route, not the murder-suicide route. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> that would have been a different different episode. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. Uh, although not, un- to, not entirely unlike The Walking Dead to do that. And I think this... I think this episode was, that was another reason it was so great because it was a little anti-typical for The Walking Dead, right? There was some bad things happened, but nothing terribly depressing happened. Yes, she left at the end and, but we all knew that was coming. Um, But, but there were some twists along the way that I didn't really see coming. Like the fact that 
he gave her the gun. She didn't steal it. I always assumed she stole that gun from him. And and that was one of the reasons he was trying to find her and go after her. But she he gave Wait. her the gun and said, you need to you need this if you're going to go out there. Didn't he say in a previous episode that he gave her the gun? Well, you may be right, but I didn't remember that at the time. And watching the episode, in the back of my mind, I was always thinking, all right, I know she's going to leave. She has to leave. Is she going to be forced away somehow? Or is she really just going to up and sneak out in the middle of the night like she did? But for some reason, I was thinking in my mind, she steals the gun from him and that leaves a bad taste in his mouth. Oh, I'm always, I've always been on the, always, like for the entire scope of time, I've, uh, I've been under the assumption that, uh, he gave her the gun knowing that she was going to leave. Okay. Well, you're, you're a little more optimistic than me. I don't know, but it's clear in this episode that that's how it would play out because he was never, he was never against the idea of her leaving. I, at least sort of publicly until the very end. Right. At the beginning, you know, she tries to eat in the car and drive away and he's like, the keys are in the visor. At least let me give you some food and water, you know, things like that. He's, he's okay with it. Right. He's, he's a very understanding guy, I think. And, um, yeah, he's a very nice guy and keys in the visor trope. Didn't do people really do that? People don't do that. Do they? Well, I mean, I don't do that, but maybe when you live in the middle of nowhere in a shack, it's sort of safe to do that. Well, you know, put him in a bowl by the door, you know? Yeah. Something. Hang him on a hook. He's got friggin' homemade nails. Uh, the the axe was hanging on homemade nails, by the way. Uh-huh. Uh, they weren't store-bought nails. And uh, if he can have uh, homemade nails to hang his uh, double-bladed axe on, he can put a nail in beside the door to hang his keys on. Yeah, fair enough. If he enough. needs them. But- uh, you know, keys in the visor. We saw that a couple episodes ago, where the keys were not in the visor, and I applauded the show for doing that. Mm-hmm. But now the keys were in the visor, and I really got to know if people do this. I don't do this. No, you don't do this. Definitely not. And we live in Canada. We barely even lock our front doors. <laughs> hey, don't perpetuate that stereotype. I <laughs> lock not, my front door. <laughs> yeah, I lock my front door too. I, have, I can turn the alarm on when it's. Anyway, yeah. uh, so. Write in if you do that or know somebody who does that. I need to know if this is a real thing or whether it's just purely a TV bullshit thing. Yeah, I don't I don't know for sure. Uh, but anyways, the, I think maybe if your car won't start regardless, it's safe to put the keys in the visor. Yeah, if it's a broke down car, you just throw the keys in the floor. Like, who cares? Just put them on the passenger seats. Like, good luck. If you can get it to start, <laughs> it's all yours. Yeah. <laughs> well... So, I, I mean, after this episode, I love John Dory even more. He's so kind and respectful of her. Like I was saying, the way he, you know, he doesn't try to stop her from leaving. He wants to help her if that's what she wants. He wants to give her some supplies so she can go. But even the way he sort of apologizes to her before he first takes a look at the wound, right? I just, you get the feeling that he's genuinely... Um, a sort of sorry that she's injured and so on, but I just felt like he was je- apologizing for the fact that he had to sort of look at, you know, part of her naked body and he yeah. that made him feel uncomfortable. And it's just such a, it's a massive respect for her, like privacy, even though she has this terrible wound that needs attention. Yeah. And, and I love that about him. Yeah. He's such a nice guy. He's such a nice guy. He's a friggin' nicest guy ever. Um, <laughs> you know, I've called, I called him sort of simple before and I kind of still stand by that, but it, it's all, 
it all comes across so endearing, I think, that you just... I, I don't know if I'd call them simple. I'd call them uncomplicated. It's a, kind of got a nicer ring to it. You're right. It is a little bit different. Yeah. It is a little bit different. Um, but a, a, another good example of that is when when Laura... I'm going to inter- interchange names here, I think. Yeah, of course. She's got know. two names now. It's fine. When, when Laura asks him if he can stitch her up because she can't do it herself, his answer is not yes or no. His answer is, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that answer because to me, it's, it's sort of twofold. It means that he genuinely doesn't know if he can. Right. He doesn't know. Like if someone asked me to stitch up a giant wound in their side, I'd be like, Jesus, I'll try, but I don't know. And no, then, the answer is no. The, the correct answer is no, I can't do that. OK, fair <laughs> enough. But for him, it's half. I don't know if I actually can. And half. I don't know if I feel a, that it's appropriate for me to be doing this. And that just sort of goes back to the same thing. Right. But yeah. of course, he steps up, he gets it done. And and then uh, she's she's better later on. So. Such a great dude. Such a great guy. He's a nice guy. I want him to have his own show now. <laughs> or right. more episodes like this, you know? So, so good. Uh, I enjoyed when he told her that soup is the blanket of food. Yeah, I'm not sure I know what that means, but what did, did he explain what he meant? He no. just said that he spent a lot of time by himself. That's not an answer. No, but the blanket, like a blanket is warm and cozy, and children use blankets oh, for, for comfort. And so soup is warm and comfort food, you know? Right. I don't like soup, and I don't generally use blankets. Well, you're an idiot, because soup I'm a, is I'm a amazing. weirdo. I know that. I love a good soup. And he, what did he serve her? Fish stew? What did he call it? He called it fish stew, or the French called it uh, bouillabaisse. Right, right, right. Fish fish or seafood stew? So good. <laughs> I, I don't know if I've ever had that and i just want to eat it right now i just came back from san francisco where you can get some pretty darn good seafood and although i didn't really have time to go out for a good seafood dinner this trip i have in the past and boy i've had some good fish stew out there yeah my wife's allergic to fish so we don't eat a lot of fish i know uh, like she's heavily highly highly allergic like if i eat fish and i come home she can tell (laughs) <laughs> kind of thing. You were eating fish with someone yeah. else, weren't you, Mr. So Miles? really, I can only eat fish when I travel. Right. Which is, right. You, know, the, you know, the first thing I do when I get to the airport, when I travel, is have fish and chips. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's actually, there's a restaurant where it's good, and uh, I've got a few days before I have to head back home after eating fish, so right. good. You can cleanse your palate with uh, all kinds of other things between Yeah, the brush time. my teeth seven times between now and then, right? So, good. Perfect. <laughs> um, any anything else, sort of about John? Do you feel like we we learned a lot about John Dory in, in this episode? I mean, I've got a couple of other scenes that I I really liked with him, <laughs> which was yeah. Most of the episode. I mean, uh, let me know when it's time to get into the nitpicky part of the episode. But uh, one thing he compliments uh, he compliments Laura on her uh, hot wiring a car skills. Yep, but. Uh, we see that he can wire up a singing fish to his alarm clock. Like that takes some skill too, right? It does for sure. Yeah. So, and, uh, that's that, uh, you know, John Dory, you know, does he do everything fish related in his life now? He's just like alarm clock. I've got to wire it up to this singing fish. (laughs) I don't know. He fishes, he catches fish, he eats fish. He wires up his alarm clock to a singing fish and his name is John Dory. So maybe. It was a little on the nose, you know, really, but, uh, I just, I wanted to, 
highlight that she, you know she has some electrical skills in uh, hot wiring a jeep, and uh, he has some electrical skills in uh, being able to hot wire a singing fish. So my God, they should get together and hot wire something together. Imagine what how far they could go. Yeah. Well, didn't she say about the hot wiring of the car that somebody at a previous community? Yes. Showed her how to do that? There was a woman at a previous uh, group, in a previous group that showed her how to do it. Right. Okay. I mean, that's probably just a, uh, I mean, a comment that'll never really have too much uh, no. meaning. She was just with some other people at some point, but. That woman didn't teach her how to set the emergency brake, though. This is why you always set the emergency brake. You don't just put the car in gear and walk away. Yeah. Like, oh my God. No, that's true. Turn on the Always set brake. the emergency brake. Very, very good advice. Yeah. You know, the scene where, again, just another scene that really pushed how great a dude John Dory is to me is when when he gives her the name, Laura. Yeah. Because he's just so understanding of her not wanting to provide her name. You know, other people would get angry. Other people would be like, I just told my, I just introduced myself to you. You can't even like tell me who you are, but... He just says, you look like a Laura and, you know, without saying anything, he accepts the fact that she doesn't want to get too personal, share her real name with him. And he says to her, is that an acceptable substitute for now? Yeah. And it was great. It was so great. I think it was just such a nice, perfect little moment. And it says so much about him again, just being so respectful and in one way, just being kind of so happy that he has some company finally. But also that, you know, he doesn't want to make her do anything she's uncomfortable with. And I, I love right. that about the guy. So I was right in that uh, the first thing I thought of when uh, he said her name was Laura, but she never told me her name, uh, that I was reminded of Lost when uh, Christian Shepard gave Anna, Luis, Anna, Anna Lucia a name when they first met so they wouldn't know each other. Like they named each other in that scene, right? So that's the first thought I thought of was that he named her. Yeah. And he did. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's uh, you know, it was uh, so you think that's a, a a nice aspect to his character that he gave her a name and understanding and stuff. Would would you attribute that same thing to uh, Tom Hanks' character in uh, Castaway when he named Wilson? You know, Wilson <laughs> didn't have a say in what his name was. No, well, he did actually. It was written on him, so I'm, I'm way off in left field here. I forget it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. His name was actually printed on the ball. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, you know, Laura didn't have her name printed on her anywhere, I assume. I mean, he was apologizing. Maybe she has a tattoo named Laura, and that's we assumed that was her name. Well, who knows? I just <laughs> I think, would assume it's somebody else's, yeah. but you never know. I just think he came up with the name, and, and uh, it's good. It fits, and I feel like she's more of a Laura than a Naomi, to be quite honest with you. Yeah even though we don't really know what her actual name is. But let's talk about her a little bit more. I think she had plenty of her own great moments in the episode as well. Uh, one that I think stands out is when he offers her the boots early on in the episode, and she says no because I want to be able to run. And I can I can 100% see both sides of that that argument. I mean, the, the, the sneakers are better for running, getting away, being mobile and agile. The boots are a little heavier and cumbersome, but offer much better protection. And I loved it. I thought it was a really great little scene and the way they played yeah. off each other was really nice. Yeah. And in the end, she ended up taking the boots. And that's right. In the end, she took them, which, you know, you could sort of see coming, but it said a lot. It said, 
that she had grown to respect his opinion just as much as, you know, he already respected her. Or maybe it meant that she's coming back for her shoes and that he shouldn't have left because obviously he left at some point. Yeah. Because right? he was, when we first met him, he was traveling around in his truck and he hadn't spoken to anybody in a year. So this, all these events happened a year previously. Uh, so well, uh, we, what was my point? We also don't know how long he hung around that cabin after she left. I mean, right. he, he may have packed up and gone the very next day or he could have waited there for six months hoping she'd come back. So we don't really know, but um, yeah. He probably burned the place down and left the next day. <laughs> That's right. As we know. I love her. She loves me. She's gone. I'm burning the place to the ground. Well, and as we know, nobody on The Walking Dead can ever leave a place without burning it down before they go. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a standard reaction when, uh, you know, you lose a loved one that uh, just takes off and uh, right. you don't think you can bear to live in that place anymore. Burn it down. Light the place on fire. <laughs> don't do that. That's not advice. <laughs> Never take anything we say on here as advice. <laughs> yeah, please. For the most part. <laughs> um, but you Except know, set your emergency brake. That That is advice. Do that. Well, that is good advice. That's true. Just not while you're driving. Park. No, and no, no. Turn it's, it on. Yeah. It's for emergencies. But when you park, set that brake because it's, it's for the best. It really is. Um, could you feel her getting closer and closer emotionally to him as the episode went on. Cause I sure could. Oh yeah. And she was physically getting closer to him as the episode went on as well. Yeah. Okay. She was, you know, uh, as, and right when he broke down and finally told him, told her that he loved her, she came to sit down right in the middle of the couch, not at the far end of the couch where she was before she was more in the middle of the couch now. See, it's it's all there on screen. You're right. At first, she was far away on the couch, and then she slowly moved forward. But And playing Scrabble, if you play Scrabble with someone uh, that you are familiar with, uh, you sit across the table from them, right? Yeah. She was sitting kitty-corner to him uh, at the table at that time. Okay. She was sitting right beside him. She was physically getting closer to him as well. Well, everything was so, so well done here. I... I think you could see it on her face as the episode went on. Uh, you know, when when she finds out his name and she makes the comment about, so your name is John Dory and you like the fish and you like fishing. You, you yeah. could just see the sort of goofy realization on her face, the smile. And that's the kind of thing that, I mean, that's the kind of thing that in other shows would be played off kind of as a joke or you'd get the feeling that she thought it was sort of stupid, but I didn't get any of that. And I just saw some genuine kind of admiration maybe, or delight. just delight in her face. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's, that's as much on Jenna Elfman, the way she played the part and, and, and the writers or the director, maybe even for saying, you know, you're not supposed to think that's dumb. You're supposed to think it's cute and endearing. And right. she did. And I could see that. And then throughout the episode, she just, the way she smiled at him when he said things or did things, uh, like again, when they're watching movies and he, he decides to put the butterscotch caramel stuff together and, you know, she just smiled and looked happy about it and what's well, a good idea it is a really good idea but i mean you could just you could just see it on her face and and every little thing like that just brought them closer and closer together um and then we had the i lost my child moment so what did you want to say about that i thought it was amazing that uh jenny Hoffman did a fantastic job portraying her character and uh laura's character uh you could 
you know, that was a very big, big turning point for her, right? He fell asleep, which, and he turned sideways, which is kind of weird because when I fall asleep, in, you've seen me fall asleep in a chair. I just kind of lean back and start snoring, yeah, right? I've seen you fall asleep <laughs> in a movie theater. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can fall asleep anywhere. Yeah. Sitting up, lying down, you know, somebody playing a trumpet. It's happened. You're lucky. Like somebody playing a trumpet right next to me. I fell asleep. Uh-huh. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so she, it was a big turning point for her. And I thought that uh, it was a really big insight into her character. And I think it was p- portrayed masterfully by uh, Jenna Elfman. It was, uh, it was really well done. And the fact that she got up and left immediately after yeah, right. I, I fully agree with you, but I, I think it was a huge moment that the show didn't make a big deal out of, right? They just, they left it up to the us, the audience, to kind of understand that that was a huge moment for her, right? They didn't have a big conversation after. She just turns at, you know, he wakes up, she just turns and says, I lost my child, which is a huge thing because she's opening up to him, like you you said. He doesn't even respond. He just nods. And then she gets up and goes back to bed and it's up to us to understand that that's massive and they don't need to talk about it anymore. It's just her saying something that is obviously a big deal in her life and extremely emotional for her. And the way these two actors and again, the writers and the directors sort of all brought it together, you didn't need anything else. It was perfect. Yeah. It's kind of a crappy thing to do uh, to lay on somebody while they're sleeping, right? Well, yeah. A big heavy moment like that. It's like, Jesus, at least give me a moment and a cup of coffee before you lay that shit on me. <laughs> like, have some, uh, <laughs> you know, it was a big moment, but uh, it's, it's hard to take in something that big when you're sleeping. I suppose, but it worked in this episode. Yeah, you shouldn't have, you know, really big life-changing conversations when one person is asleep. No chances. Or are, just woke up, like holy crap. Yeah, they might not remember it very well, or not have anything helpful to offer. Yeah, so I'm not surprised that he just nodded. Is like, yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> lost your child. Yes, sure. Give me a cup of coffee. I'll be able to comment better. Whatever you say. <laughs> yeah. Well, but in all seriousness, I thought it worked brilliantly. Um, what about the guns, Jason? So the idea that John Dory is a police officer and he is reluctant to use them at first. All we know is that he says that it will draw more of the dead, but that's obvious. We all know that gunshots do that. And then he tells the story of being a cop and shooting and killing a bad guy at a gas station when he didn't really intend to kill him. He just intended to disable him. Um, And that's kind of what pushed him over the edge of not really wanting to to use the weapons because I guess he feels they're just too too harmful or too too dangerous. Um, and then of course he ends up using them in an incredibly impactful moment at the end to save her life when she's stuck in the moat, which we didn't even mention. The guy has a moat. Yeah, well, no, we're getting to the moat. Don't worry. All right. We'll talk about the moat. Uh, you know, when he finally decides to use those guns in the coolest fashion I can imagine, um, the whole thing made me tear up a little bit. It was, uh, I really like John Dory, first of all, and the guns know that. are, they're great because, uh, I'm not sure why they have the handles with the JD on them, whether they're family heirlooms. Did he say they're family heirlooms? Or whether they're just uh, decorative because he was in the Wild West show, 
right? Right. He did, you know, trick shooting for kitties, he said. And being a police officer, he was coming home from working one of those those shows when yeah. he's told the guy he was an off-duty officer. And he's, you know, he's a crack shot. He's a pretty good shot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he can draw a... You draw them pretty quick. So he just, he decided to take a shot, but the guy turned at the last second and shot him in the leg and he bled out, you know, kind of a shitty thing. And the reason he moved away from society at that point is because everybody was calling him a hero. And he's like, I'm not a hero. I didn't mean to kill that guy. Right. I killed him. I didn't want dude. to kill that guy. Yeah. I used my skill to try and, uh, stop him without hurting him too badly, but it didn't work. So I don't want to use my skill to hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then he, uh, when he goes, when she's in the moat and the, the zombies are all jumping on top of her and he starts shooting and shooting and shooting at the end of it, he twirls his guns and then he looks at him and he just kind of puts them, you know, lets them hang down. Well, he's like, a gunslinger. He has to twirl his guns after shooting I know, them. No, it's, it's the showman thing that is just, it's so ingrained. It's muscle memory. It's like you do the bunch of trick shots and then you twirl your, twirl your guns and you put them back in your holster. He doesn't have his holsters on, but. You know, it's just like, yeah, crap. I twirled my guns after that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know I what? I don't need to do a flourish. <laughs> no, I guess situation. not. But you're right. He w- he was a crack shot, but the last shot he hesitated, right? Because that was the one where the zombie was right on top of her. The closest shot he would have to take, you know, at her, basically. Yep. If he missed, he would have he would have hit her and not the zombie. Yeah. So there was that if moment of hesitation. If you're pointing a weapon at a, at the woman you love, you take a couple extra seconds to aim. Exactly, but I that you know, and that's again with John Dory. Like he didn't he didn't chicken out or he didn't um, you know get all confused and wasn't able to do it. He took the shot and he made the shot. But he hesitated for a second, and you're right. I guess take a <laughs> extra couple moments to aim. But again, I, I'm just glad he did. And I yeah. thought the whole thing was so impactful after what we know about him and his feelings towards those weapons. Yeah, I think I think I'm, that might have come out wrong. I, I I said when you're aiming a weapon at the woman you love, take a couple extra seconds to aim. Right. I came out slightly wrong. When you're aiming near and you don't want to hit the person you love, <laughs> that's when you take the couple extra seconds to aim properly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Always take a couple extra seconds to aim. Yeah. Why? Why pull the trigger if you're not aiming? If you're right? n- if you're not sure about what you're about to shoot. Oh yeah. Be sure. Don't pull the trigger. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I thought the whole ex- explanation for the guns was, again, brilliantly done, R- really, really cool, super emotional, and, uh, and and again, kudos to everyone involved for that. And the fact that he has those guns in that box and uh, he was cleaning them at such a regular, you know, he was cleaning them all the time. We saw him clean them a number of times. You don't have to clean a weapon every day that you don't fire. No. Because they get they get gummed up when you fire them. Or if you leave them for a long time, you can get rust, which is why you oil them. Uh, so the fact that he was cleaning them obsessively every day and night, uh, it shows the cracks in his, uh, you know, mental capacity. We've seen, you know, there's other areas that are, uh, that, that show the cracks talking to himself and uh, that kind of stuff. But uh, that obsessive cleaning of those, those uh, those pistols is not strictly necessary. No, but is it, it's a ritual for him. I think it's one of the things that maybe keeps him going a little bit, right? This is yeah. Well, that's what I mean. It's, it's 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 a crack. Sure. Okay. Well, I think he's also just a man that likes a clean gun. 
Yeah, but you don't need to. It's completely unnecessary. It's like washing your underwear three times before you wear them. You, you know, you wash them once, you get it done, you put them on. <laughs> you don't have to wash them three times. No, just wash them we, in between everywhere. You don't have to wash your underwear every day, even though you don't wear them. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> There's some advice you can take, everybody. <laughs> you can take Ted to the bank. Right <laughs> That's right. Well, before we talk about the very end of this episode, uh, really the only other thing I wanted to mention is that I thought them canoeing up the river was just another beautiful moment. Um, everybody walks and drives so much in this show that, and, and of course the main Walking Dead show, that canoeing up along the river was great. It was a change of pace for me. I thought it looked great. It's a simple but amazing idea from from the writers of this episode. They're not driving. They're not walking. They're kind of in the safety of a canoe in the middle of a river, right? Uh, I guess you could have zombie danger in the water, but really, you got to think on the water you're fairly safe. And I think fairly that was safe. just a great way of, of them traveling to the store and back. And I thought it was a really good looking scene. Yeah, it was really good. Here's the nitpicky part about the canoeing. I okay. got two nitpicky parts. Can you name them? Well, I know one of them, but only because a listener wrote in about it, which I'm going to read in listener feedback. Uh, but I didn't, if that's one of them, I didn't notice it at the time, but then uh, it's something I can't unsee now in the canoe scenes. So why don't you just get into it? Well, was it the, the canoeing without moving anywhere? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, it was, it, it was, it was, you might as well be on a green screen. Like it was obvious that they weren't friggin' going anywhere and there was somebody holding the canoe or they were moored to something or whatever. So anyway, they had to get the shot. They had to make some sacrifices. I can move past that. I can move past this other one too, but, uh, any ideas what it is? No, no. The other, well, um, I don't know that she wasn't canoeing. She or paddling. No. She was just sitting there. That's fine. It's a nice okay. way to have a conversation. I would love to do that. Just kind of paddle around. We're thinking about buying a canoe. I think that uh, it'd be great. Okay, just paddle around with your family. I think it'd be fantastic. You and me can go for a canoe ride. I'll sit in the front. You can paddle. And nice. Uh, <laughs> Garrett Dillahunt is not a canoeer. Oh, John I know. Dory might be, but Garrett Dillahunt is not. Uh, hasn't been in a canoe a heck of a lot because he's switching sides. Because he's switching sides, but uh, can you tell the the other reason why I knew that before I noticed the switching side thing? Thing oh. somebody who's regularly canoes okay. and knows how to do it properly doesn't need to switch sides. All right, but the other thing is it because he was sitting on the seat and not with his knees down? Because I was taught uh, as a canoeer to put my knees down and sort of just yeah. lean against the seat. Yeah, but you know you got to do what you got to do. Okay. I'd sit on the thing because I have horrible knees. Sure. Okay. Right, and I I wouldn't get in a canoe that had. Uh, low initial stability. So uh, it would be a very stable canoe when you get in it. So uh, anyway, the other thing was he was paddling with his arms and not his back. Oh, when you paddle, okay. you don't need to bend your arms. You use your back. Okay. You're going to get tired a lot faster by using your arms than you will be if you use your back. Okay. Your so you, back muscles are much stronger than your arms. So you twist your body to paddle instead of moving your yeah. arms. Okay. You use your torso and your shoulders to paddle and not uh, don't pull the paddle with your arms because you're going to get tired in about five seconds doing it that way. Got it. Okay. Well, but you know what? He didn't have that far to go maybe. So it's okay. No, it's fine. I mean, as far <laughs> as, uh, as far as John Dory goes, I can get over it. Sure. As far as Garrett Dillahunt goes, you know, he may have spent a little bit of time in a canoe, but you know, he's not, he's no John Dory. No, you're right. right? No, few <laughs> men are, few men are. 
That's true. So there you he go. Probably, yeah. You know, Jared Dillahunt probably doesn't shoot as well as John Dory either. You know, actors, characters, right? So I just wanted to make that distinction that it's Jared Dillahunt that can't paddle a canoe to save his life. John Dory, probably fine. Probably fine. There you go. Well, I enjoyed the canoeing scene. I thought it was was nicely done. And again, just a nice scene between these two characters as they were getting to know each other and ultimately fall in love. Now, speak- that's a nice way to fall in love, to paddle around in a canoe. Totally. Having a conversation. I think that's very romantic. I think that's fantastic. It's really nice. Speaking of falling in love, towards the ep- end of the episode, um, he starts to get a little upset and he's going to go outside and she questions him and he tells her that he loves her yep. and he doesn't want her to leave. And the way he equates his love for her to the whole world being alive was pretty incredible. I thought it was it was a tearjerker. It, that was that was quite the. Uh, how could you not fall in love with a man who says that to you? Exactly. Like the whole world is dead out there, but the fact that you are here makes all of that go away. Yeah, the whole world is alive because of you. Oh my God, man! Like I, I'm surprised she still left. Yeah, for all you guys out there. Go and get a piece of paper. It doesn't have to be a nice piece of paper. Go get a piece of paper, fold it in half, inside of it, write that down, and then give it to someone you love. Well, it'll make the world of just if if you uh, if you really feel like going special and you want to do something even extra special than just folding a piece of paper in half, go outside, pick something up off of the ground, a flower, a leaf, uh, just something that is alive and out on the ground. Put it inside that card. And make it part of the gift. Well, listen, you and I are a couple of sappy dudes, I guess. I would be interested to see a female perspective or hear a female perspective on this. So ladies out there, write in TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com or call in with your thoughts on this. Do you guys or gals think that this is kind of as romantic as we seem to, because I want to know. I mean, there are differences of opinion for sure, uh, but I think it was absolutely amazing. But I'd be curious to find out if um, our opinion that, you know, she would have thought that was incredible is is valid. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? I just want to know. Cause Me I'm, too. That, I, I know the answer, of course. Okay, well, I want to know. It's very romantic. I assume... Well, that's How what can I, that but not be universal? That's what I'm saying. I want to know if that's universal. Ladies, let us know. If, if a guy said that to you, um, and the world literally was mostly dead outside, let us yeah. know what you would think. Anyways. Uh, it's the same thing as I've got sunshine on a cloudy day. <laughs> yeah, right? it's, it's, it is. I've got so much honey, the bees envy me. Whoa, man, I can't believe you didn't, uh, I can't believe you didn't have ladies knocking down your door your whole life with lines like that. Well, that's a song, right? Well, I know, but still. So, you just quoting lyrics. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's easy too. I haven't purchased a card for my wife in quite some time. You just fold a piece of paper in half and write some shit on it. They love that. That's amazing. She loves that. I hope I she puts them, general. I hope she puts them in a shoebox and saves them all. Oh yeah, they're all saved. Excellent. So right after that scene, or very soon, we cut back to the present time, and we have Morgan, and it turns out John Dory has basically been telling him this story. He's filling him in on the details, which I think is just great. It's a, it's a great way to sort of, you know, cap off this bottle episode with John Dory explaining the whole thing to Morgan. And 
I'll be honest, I think this story gave Morgan a new resolve on life. You know what? Because he says, uh, he says we're alive, we're part of the world, let's not waste another second. And then they get up and they walk away. And I feel like that's Morgan going, man, that's a, that's an incredible story. We need to, we need to get out there and do something. You know, we need to do something for love. <laughs> yeah. And, and it may not be find Laura slash Naomi. It just, I feel like he's been given a reason to live after hearing this story, which I also really liked. Well, he's gone from, uh, from the Padawan to the master, right? He was the cheesemaker's uh, apprentice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now he's the, uh, he feels like he can uh, teach John Dory uh, how to love again or to find love. So they're, they're walking off into the sunset. Uh, to find love. Yeah, I, nice. I think so. But, but Morgan took as much from the story as, as he thinks he, as he's going to sort of teach John Dory, if you know what I mean. Right. Like yep. the whole, the story is what gave Morgan the, the new lease on life, I think. And yeah. I think it's benefiting them both at this point. So. And I think it's really nice that John Dory has those Scrabble letters. Like when they, uh, he said yep. he loved her and then she kissed him. And then he woke up the next day to his fish song and she was gone, but she left a note in Scrabble letters. Very. Okay. That's, that's pretty cool. It's pretty adorable. I don't know if I've ever uh, left a note in Scrabble letters. I didn't check and see if one Scrabble set contained all of those letters. It's kind of hard to do because of the distribution of letters and stuff, but uh, she didn't use any blanks. So uh, I just, I didn't, you know, I didn't verify that, but I don't care that much, but he, you know, the note that, uh, that, she left him he keeps in a tin yep now and that's probably going to stop a bullet at some point oh you're probably right that tin is going to be in his breast pocket and it's going to save his life um i am going to choose not to go and verify those scrabble letters because i think it's it's just nicer in my head if if they are there and the right letters are there he might have combined two sets together right well exactly i mean it's a cabin there's a, a store that they went to that has a bunch of crap uh, so he might've misplaced some letters and just grab a handful of letters from a different game and threw them in and doesn't care too much about the proper distribution of letters for Scrabble. Nope. And neither do I at this point. Right. All right. Well, this, uh, as you can hear is an episode that we both thought was fantastic and I hope all the episodes can be this good. Season four of fear has been pretty stellar so far. And, you know, only one of five episodes so far I have thought was not as good, but this one was probably the best so far. So let me ask you a question. So the opening credit or the opening title shot Mm -hmm. that we've had uh, so far in this season has been a depiction of what happens in the episode, right? Just something subtle about what's going on, what's going to happen in this episode. Yeah, not I wouldn't say directly what happens, but in a way, an interpretation of it, sort of. So let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. When we got the opening shot, it was two people mm-hmm. walking on the background of a sunset towards a building with a windmill. Yes. Okay. And so his cabin has a windmill. It does. But uh, but it's, there was no lake in sight or river in sight. So it wasn't uh, an actual depiction of anybody going towards that particular cabin. Two people walking against the backdrop of a sunset. Was that John Dory and Laura? Or was it John Dory and Morgan? I think it was John Dory and Laura, and I don't think it's supposed to be taken quite literally. It, I think of these these title screens as like the cover of a comic book. 
And what I mean by that is the cover of a comic book gives you, it doesn't really give you a hint of what's happening in the, in that issue. It can, but it doesn't always. Sometimes it shows a character that's in that issue in a situation that is similar to something that happens in the issue or a, a different take on it or an interpretation or something like that. And that's how I think of these title screens where we saw two characters, you saw the windmill, um, but it's really just sort of a, an interpretation or a vague similar. It has some vague similarities to something in the episode. So I like to think that it was John Dory and Laura and it wasn't supposed to be exactly literal, but it gives you an idea that this episode is going to be about the two of them and their journey together. I'm not so sure. Okay. Because uh, <laughs> I, I agree with you that these, uh, that these title shots are meant to be an interpretation of, the, uh, of this particular episode. And it is like the cover of a comic or an album cover, right? It's supposed to give you uh, more of a feeling about the piece of uh, work that you're about to experience. That's a better right? way of describing it. Give you a feeling of, of what it is, not exactly what it is. So in this one, we've got two people walking not into the sunset, but against the background of the sunset. John Dory and Laura don't walk off into the sunset together. No, that's John true. John Dory and Morgan do. So maybe, and it is, there is an affirmation of life for Morgan, like you said, through the story that John Dory is telling. So, and there's hope at the end of it of these two people walking off to try and find better lives, mm -hmm. essentially. We don't have to kill everybody. We don't have to just, you know, murder or you know murder or get killed or it's not uh, life or death all the time it's about you know connections with mm -hmm. other people so let's go make some connections so these two people walking off into the sunset i think it could be both i don't think it needs to be either one i think it's a representation of both yeah i mean and and that fits perfectly with with my sort of theory on it right it can yeah. be both or it can be neither and it's it just gives you a feel for it. It's a it's a duo that we're seeing in this episode, John Dory and Laura, and then John Dory and Morgan, and they are going on a journey together, right? Yeah. We see the very beginning of it with uh, John Dory and Morgan, and we see most of, or the beginning, I guess the beginning, but more of it with Laura. So, right. but I think uh, bottom line is, once again, I think they're killing it with the title screens. <laughs> Yes, they it's, are. They really are. It's a very cool way of doing it, and uh, I, I I prefer it to be honest to the the extended sort of opening credits, like the traditional opening credits of of The Walking Dead. To be honest with you, just maybe because it's something new, but I I just like it better. Right, that's all I got. I, I, yeah, it's really nice. They're really nice. It is. All right. Well, anything else about this episode before we read some feedback from some listeners? Uh, seven things. So, uh, <laughs> one, I want to talk about the car in the river. <laughs> okay, the car in the river. That's right. Car in the river. So, uh, to, so I, I'm trying to understand what this car in the river and the break in the bridge is all about. John Dory presumably goes to the store this way by canoeing up the river uh, every Tuesday. That's what he, he says. says. Tuesday. I go to the store on Tuesdays. Mm -hmm. uh, so, they go to the store. Uh, so he goes under this bridge. I assume he paddles under this bridge every Tuesday. So the fact that this car is in the water and he asks Laura, was this you? Mm -hmm. You know, was this how you got into the river? And she said, no, that mean that tells me that this car driving into the river is less than a week old. 
It wasn't there the previous Tuesday, correct? Right. So uh, I'm surprised at how little they give a shit, frankly. Like, they didn't look in the car for survivors. They didn't look around for survivors. They didn't think about, uh, you know, there's people out there. Why did they drive off the road in this particular place? Uh, There was, like, it was a construction site, I assume. There was dirt on the road. There was uh, barriers up, like blinking lights and all that kind of stuff. You think that somebody would notice that there something was wrong with the bridge? I don't know. So I just, I'm confused a little bit by this car. Well, I I don't know. I didn't really ever feel confused by it. I sort of thought that, yes, it's been there less than a week. It's not her car. And someone was probably driving along, not paying attention, swerved to avoid a zombie and ended up going off the bridge. I mean, died in the car because there were zombies in that car. Yes, there were zombies in the car, died, drowned in the car or potentially was dead when they when they hit the water. But um yeah, I I sort of just accepted it. It was a it was a traffic accident, and we've seen some pretty bad drivers on this show. Do you remember when Lori flipped a car on a straight flat road with nothing in her way? <laughs> way back yeah, in well, she just two? had the, the advanced class, so I'm not with with Shane. So I'm yeah. not overly convinced that she wasn't preoccupied. Okay, maybe. But either way, I mean, we've seen some car crashes. Uh, yeah, I didn't question it. I just thought, you know what, someone had an accident on this bridge and drove off. Okay. So I accepted so, it. So why were all the zombies attracted to the hole in the fence on the bridge? I, I can, ex- I think I can explain that. And Please. I, I'm, I'm going to do it in feedback because a listener qu- asks that question as well. Okay, great. So that's, that's really good. Okay. Um, and I want to nitpick, you know, if John Dory is, uh, you know, such, it's, I assume this is his cabin and he likes to come out here and fish. Uh, he would know full well that that frying pan was too hot for that egg. Like that was just uh, <laughs> it's a cast iron frying pan. It wasn't properly seasoned, and it was just too hot. He's going to burn that egg. It's going to have like it's going to taste like rubber. And he wasn't even really paying attention for it. It was sizzling and popping and stuff. That's a horrible egg. Like turn it down a little bit. It's got he has an electric stove, which is fine, <laughs> but uh, you don't need to get the cast iron pan that hot to cook a friggin' egg. Listen. That is one of the most nittiest nitpicks I've ever heard <laughs> about any show uh, before. So, yeah, sure, it was hot. And that's because you need to see that egg sizzle and fry in the one second it's on screen. And so they cook it way hotter than they have to. Take some time. Cook your eggs properly. You don't have to do that to your egg. You don't have to do that to your frying pan. I like, I love my cast iron frying pans. I have a number of them. I made breakfast on the weekend for for the family using nothing but cast iron. It was awesome. Bacon, potatoes, eggs. Well, it was, it was, it was a sight to behold. Number one, I'm super happy for you. Number two, I wish I was there because that sounds delicious. And number three, I don't care how John Dory cooks an egg. I just. He's going to have to scrape it off. It was, it was a mess. It was a mess. (laughs) All right. Anything else? John Dory knows better. Okay. Garrett, Garrett Dillahunt doesn't. And apparently the producers don't, but, uh. Come on. Okay, well, you you can't end on on a nitpick like that, so you better have one more thing to say about this episode. Okay, Laura was on top of the canoe when John Dory found her. How'd she get on top of the canoe if she washed up Um, downriver? I think she washed up downriver, tried to climb her, or grabbed the canoe or tried to pull herself out of the water and then collapsed out of exhaustion on top of it. Wouldn't you pull the canoe over? Like, it was just sitting there. If you're 
I don't know if you've ever been lying on the ground and tried to get into a canoe. <laughs> I've tried to get into a canoe from the water, and it's pretty hard. <laughs> well, it is. It can be done. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, and usually you need a buddy. Sure. You know, with a buddy you can do it. But, uh, yeah, she was on top of the... I think she was trying... Was she trying to steal the canoe? Maybe. Maybe she was... Maybe she got out of the water, kind of stumbled along the shore, along the bank for a few steps, and then f- tripped over the canoe and fell onto it. Yeah, flopping over a canoe is a pretty uncomfortable place to fall asleep. Yeah, but she was in rough shape, man. She was in pretty rough shape. I just, I just, I'm having a hard time with her on the canoe, like lying on the shore mm-hmm. next to the canoe. Fine. Okay. Just on the canoe. I don't know. I was more preoccupied when John, with the fact that when John Dory came out there and found her there, realized that she was alive, how he put his hand right on her ass to roll her over. Which, well, that's what you do. He also threw his axe, which is important. He threw it into the water, which I thought that was the one. No, it was a sandbar. He threw it on. It was on the ground. Okay. There was, there was a little sandbar with a little inlet that. Uh, yes. Uh, so, no, he didn't throw it in the water. He's not that dumb. Okay. It sort of seemed like it to me. But then he, he grabs her ass and rolls her over, which I'm sure is practical. But after everything I know about John Dory and learned in this episode, I don't think he's the kind of guy that would even accidentally grope her while she was in that state, but whatever he needed to get her inside and get her taken care of. So, well, you know how to flip people over, right? You flip them over with their hips. Yeah, I know. You don't do it with their shoulders because then they're all twisted and stuff. You flip them over with their hips. It's uh, it's even. <laughs> sure. Right. I mean, you've, you've had kids, you've had to roll your kids over. Yeah, of course. Do you flip them over by their head? Like just take their head and twist it and hope their whole body goes. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> No, you can do the legs, like you can flip the legs and kind of twist them. They'll they'll usually flip upside right. But you, it's the hips, right? You grab them by the hips and you roll them over. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just... That's what he did. I've, I mean, grabbing the ass. I mean, we've all done that by accident, right? Yeah. Uh, haven't seen somebody for a while. You're like, hey, I haven't seen you in such a long time. You give them a hug and you accidentally grab their ass. Oh. And you feel stupid for the rest of your life. I've done that. <laughs> accidentally quote grab their ass giving them a hug and it's just uh, it's like whoa that was a little low someone who's way taller <laughs> nobody than said you. anything everything was fine right you know but uh i still feel dumb of course of course well anyways i john dory i i noticed it and i'm like oh okay john that's the way it is i see all right <laughs> uh another one is a question all right so usually when you uh, watch a movie or a television show, at the end, you, they have a, a disclaimer saying, no animals were harmed during the making of this thing. Uh, Often, yes. Do you, think anybody, do you think anybody cares about fish? Nobody cares like, about per- fish. They were cutting up what looked like real fish, like gutting some real fish there. Well, they might not have been. Could have been fake fish. I'm, I'm sure you can get some pretty convincing fish, rubber fish to stand in for real fish. Right. Well, I'm wondering if that's the case. They look like real fish to me. I've I hate fishing. I've, I've if I never gut a fish, I'll be happy. Well, I also think nobody gives a shit about fish. <laughs> right. <laughs> but maybe well, I'm, I shouldn't say that. I'm sure they do. I had a a, a psychology prof- I used to know a psychology professor quite well, and he was telling me about a study they did involving fruit flies. And right. One of one of his reasons for using fruit flies in the study, I swear to God, out of his mouth were the words, because nobody gives a shit about fruit flies. No. And nobody really does. So uh, it was nobody fine. Does. You can kill as many fruit flies as you want. No one's going to say anything. Fish, I think there's probably a, a you know group of people in society that would be upset about that. And rightfully so, totally legitimately upset. But... 
I think maybe in this episode they used fake fish. Okay. I, I'm just wondering if there's a dividing line uh, for harming animals, and I think that dividing line is called the scream line in my brain. Mm-hmm. If an animal can scream, there's people going to be upset when you harm that animal. Sure. Fish can't scream. If, so do people care? No. It's the same with trees. If trees could scream, we wouldn't be so barbaric about cutting them down. Yeah. There's so many nice things you can do with a tree that you've killed. <laughs> Well, that's true. <laughs> or at least dismembered their body. Dismembered. And then, <laughs> and then it assembled it in weird ways so I, you could sit on it. I, that's right. Or eat off of it. I've never really thought about that <laughs> in trees of, as being, I've never thought about dismembering as what you do to trees. Anyways. This is why I can't become a vegetarian. Because if I became a vegetarian, I'd have to stop eating plants. Because I don't draw the line between plants and animals. <laughs> right. They're living things. Or and you can't survive by eating non-living things. There is a right? great deal of of contradiction in the statement. If I ever became a vegetarian, I'd have to stop eating plants. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to. What? Uh, there's a there's people that only eat fruit that has naturally fallen off of the tree. Correct. Right, and fruit is meant to be eaten. Right, the seeds are inside. It is actually beneficial for the plant for something to eat that fruit and then poop the seeds out somewhere else so uh-huh. that they'd have a nice fertilized spot for a new tree to grow. Yep, that would be the only. Th- I would only eat fruit that would natu- have naturally fallen off the tree. But who has time for that? Yeah, that's tough. That's tough to do in the modern society. All right, are we done? Anyway, that's it. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Fantastic. Great episode, eh? Overall. It was good. It was good. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's do some listener feedback, Jason. What do you think about that? All right. Good. Listener feedback. All right. Uh, we got some emails and a call or two here, and I'm going to start with an email from Ellie in icy cold Brisbane. She wrote. Mm. <laughs> Sounds cold. Yeah, well, I'm going to start with her first paragraph here, and, and you're not going to feel the same in a second. Hey, guys, as the temperature drops to unbelievable lows here on the east coast of Australia in time for winter, 24 degrees Celsius in the day, down to 10 at night, oh, I attempt man. to type to you through f- near frozen fingers. Near frozen. So, I mean, we have to... Like within 10, degree, 10 degrees of frozen. <laughs> 24 <laughs> degrees in the day and 10 at night. Uh, sorry, Ellie. This I'm is, moving there. That sounds fantastic. It's freaking beautiful conditions. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, anyways, she, she wrote a couple paragraphs about how uh, she's very much enjoying season four of Fear, but she finished off with this paragraph about Morgan, which is what I really wanted to address. So... I'll skip to that. She says, I have a few gripes about Morgan. I just don't understand, even though he has walked to Texas, how he is so different now from when we saw him in The Walking Dead. I can understand he was reassessing his kill everyone policy, but there is literally no trace of that guy now. It just seems an odd transition for him saying things like, I don't kill. It almost sounds a bit arrogant after everything we've seen him do. I love Morgan, but I wish they had dealt with the before and after a bit more smoothly. One thing's for sure, though. John Dory is absolutely the right person he needs to be around to continue on his mission of peace. Definitely a great influence on each other. So how do you feel about this, Jason? Has Morgan undergone a like a stark transition too quickly on the show? 
Um, what do you think? Uh, yes. I, see, I mean, see, I don't from know. From a character perspective, that's a fuck of a long walk. Yeah. Right? You got to get some perspective walking that far. But uh, from a timeline perspective in from, uh, you know, watching Morgan on The Walking Dead and then less than 35 seconds later, you're seeing him on Fear the Walking Dead mm-hmm. and his character is so different. It's it's a little jarring. Well, I, I'm not sure I even see it that way. I think there's enough. Yes, we've seen Morgan go back and forth a few times, but I thought once he made it over to Fear the Walking Dead, there was enough um, leading up to that on the original show that I I believed it, and I think there was enough of you know both side of both sides of Morgan's personality once he got onto Fear that I could still see that it was the same character that he was struggling with things that yes his opinion had changed a little bit but the essence of him was was still there so I don't think I really agree with that he was completely different that quickly when he came over to fear um and through the first five episodes of this show of season four he's been struggling with that leading up to this moment at the end of this episode where he finally decides to go one way after hearing John Dory's love story and now this is the Morgan we're going to see going forward the one who appreciates life who wants to go and get something done and says the words you know we're part of the world let's not waste another second yeah so i i can see the transition to that uh and i don't find it as jarring as as ellie did necessarily uh that being said i'm glad that we're there and i really hope morgan doesn't revert back again because frankly i'm tired of that and yeah. i want to see him move forward and stick to it you know what i mean let's just do a mental reset you know if we can all just accept that this happened and move on from here i think we'd be okay yeah no i think so um and the show shouldn't take him backwards again cuz there's no point in that let's see him do something new and different and exciting yeah, maybe you get a metal stick right? instead of the wooden stick. That's right. He doesn't have to use wood all the time. He can use metal, maybe carbon fiber. Oh, carbon fiber. That'd be nice. Yeah, see? <laughs> oh, see, that's what you could use Eugene for. Eugene would have a carbon fiber manufacturing plant set up in like less than a fortnight. Uh, if anyone could do it, it's probably Eugene. So he'll be, he'll need to be the... Morgan's either going to need to walk back and say, Eugene, I need a carbon fiber stick. Can you handle that? Or somehow Eugene's going to have to make his way back to Texas. Yeah, I think Morgan would be better off knitting a stick cozy. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> That'd be nice. A nice knit uh, sheath that he wears on his back for his stick. Oh, no, you actually put it on the stick for whacking people. Oh, okay. you know, it's a little softer. It's a little kinder. Yeah, yeah. Gets soaked in blood after a while. It could. Probably. Or brains. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you, Ellie, for that. And uh, it's not that cold where you live. So Sean in Vancouver writes, my God, I thought I'd sat through some boring episodes of The Walking Dead, but I never knew what boring was until tonight. (laughs) I believed that Morgan and his Aikido master uh, were a dull duo, but at least they had a jail cell and a goat. Two guys, a cell and a goat. You never know what they might get up to. I consider it a victory that I made it until the end. And a shout out to the OK Corral in the last few minutes does not an episode make. 
So I just wanted to include, you know, a contrary opinion there because I'm sure there are lots of people out there that didn't enjoy this episode as much as we did. But what can I say, Sean? I thought it was the whole, I thought almost the entire thing was brilliant. And um, I think it's one of the best episodes the show has done in four years. Uh, Yeah, I agree. Sean, I'm sorry. So I don't agree with you. But usually I agree with all listeners all the time and that, but I don't, I don't in this case. Yeah. But what are you going to do? Uh, Adam in Texas writes, did John Dory have a moat? Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have a big enough moat. The moat needed to be deeper, wider, and filled with pointy sticks. It's true. Um, but I think any moat is better than no moat because, it's tough to build a wide, deep moat moat that's filled with pointy sticks. At least he had something. A lot of those zombies tripped and fell into it, and that slows them down. It does. That's why you need to fill it with pointy sticks, you know, so that it slows them down a little bit more. And it needs to be a little bit wider because, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of zombies falling in the hole makes a nice bridge for other zombies behind them. So, I mean, it works for one or two zombies at a time. But if you're, you know, you're talking about 30, 40 zombies like we saw, uh, that moat's going to fill up pretty quick. It's true. And and you know what? Maybe he hadn't finished building it yet. Maybe he was intending to dig it deeper, but it's a lot of work digging a moat. So, Yeah. I spend a little time every day. It's one of those things where you're like, if I dig 30 shovelfuls in a day, it's going to get done pretty quick. Yeah. Good point. Good point. But I, I'm just... I'm just excited that he had one at all. As yeah, not too many people in this show have a moat. No. I want a moat now. I'm going to go start. I, who am I kidding? I can't even find time to mow the lawn. <laughs> Take a moat. Just tear up your driveway and that'll be your moat. <laughs> yeah. That's park on the street. Right. <laughs> Sorry, honey. We can't use the garage anymore. I dug a moat. I dug a moat. <laughs> Keep the neighbors out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, who's next? Matt in Lindenwald, New Jersey writes... Holy crap, did you see that boat scene? Half of the scene was John Dory rowing, but the boat clearly not moving. Perhaps they had to CGI the boat onto the river in the close-up moments. They could have used a green screen. It might have been better. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that thing was being held by uh, a production assistant. Yeah, and that's... Standing in the water. That's what I mentioned, you know, before. I didn't notice it the first time I watched, and then I read Matt's email, and I watched it again, and it's impossible to unsee now. So I apologize to anyone out there who we have tainted with this information. But, man, yeah. it, it does kind of look dumb when he's paddling along and they're just not moving. It's like John John Bernthal's earlobes. Can't unsee that shit. Once you know they're enormous, you cannot unsee them. Yeah. That's how I know him in other shows. I see him pop up everywhere. It's like, oh, is that? Oh, yeah, earlobes. Yep, that's him. I see nothing but earlobes. That's definitely <laughs> Johnny B. <laughs> yeah. uh, thanks, Matt. Dawn in Wisconsin writes, holy crap, did you see all those walkers inexplicably, inexplicably make a beeline to the hole in the bridge's guardrail? You know, the one with all the obstacles to get past? Or how about the remote cabin with power? Please, writers, please stop blemishing great episodes with this sort of nonsense. Uh, there was a there was a windmill. I saw the windmill. Yes. Windmill was providing power. Exactly. I noticed the windmill, too, and may not have been generating a ton of power, but it was running at the beginning of that episode and definitely creating power for him. So they explained it with the windmill. Well, they don't, you know, windmill doesn't necessarily, it's like solar panels. You don't need you'd be an idiot if you hooked it up directly to your TV or your stove or whatever. <laughs> you right. hook it up to batteries, right. <laughs> which charge. So even at night, there's wind at night, not a lot of sun at night. Well, not where you are, 
I mean, on the you know the planet's round. I sorry, I hate to break that to some people, <laughs> but <laughs> the, the sun is always shining somewhere. Mm-hmm. Not always where you are. Correct. Right. So, but there's always wind. Yeah, yeah. Wind can blow all the time. Yeah. So windmill, good idea. Mm-hmm. Charges batteries, gives you lots of power for watching. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, Copyright free movies. Movies, whatever, exactly. Or ones you steal from Bill's hardware store. Yeah, which happened to be non, nothing even remotely related to current copyrights. So you can show it on TV without having to pay licensing. Oh, fair enough. Well, that's all right. Uh, <laughs> but you're right. The windmill I noticed as well, and that explains the power for sure. Um, they can cook your eggs too hot. And it can cook your eggs too hot. That's right. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to play a call here. This gets back to the zombies on the bridge. This comes from Lee. Hey, Chris and Jason. This is Lee in St. Catharines. Um, I love The Walking Dead. I've watched that show since you guys started, since the beginning. I've enjoyed all of your episodes you guys have done. But my problem with the show net today is just the shitty writing. It's like, so the zombies push a car and hit a, a metal fence for zero reason, and the only reason they need to is because they have to get zombies in the water. Why don't they write it better and maybe have some other person hey get stuck by a horde and drive off that spot and a whole bunch of zombies follow them you don't need to show the other person at all just this is how the zombies got in and it makes sense rather than the living dead is pushing a car out of the way which makes no sense this show does shitty writing a lot and other than that i love the show but it doesn't work for me what do you guys think thanks lee well here's my explanation for the zombies on the bridge and it may be a weak one, but you, you tell me what you think, Jason. Okay. So the car crashes, drives off the bridge, gets stuck in the water, and we know there are zombies in that car. And at one point, we hear them making noise. So I think that those zombies, after John and uh, Laura rode by, got a little agitated, started making noise, And I think the zombies on the bridge started to get attracted to the noise in the water. And then they started making noise and attracted some more zombies from the surrounding area and ended up creating a small crowd of zombies at that point in the bridge, all because they were attracted to the sound in the water, splashing around or other zombie noises down there. And eventually when you get enough zombies, they just, you know, they can move heavy objects because they just keep pushing on them. So... I think what we were supposed to take away from that is that they were attracted to the noise in the water and therefore were able to sort of push their way through the barrier on the bridge. So it's like traffic. What do you mean? So, well, when you have a lot of cars, Mm -hmm. you know, one slowdown can have a ripple effect where it causes other cars to slow down and other cars to slow down. And because there's so many cars that slowdown that happened probably 20 minutes ago is still affecting traffic now so it's just it kind of snowballs yeah okay one zombie could you know makes a noise and another zombie goes oh there's a noise over there yeah and walks towards that other zombies which is how hordes grow i I assume yeah they Uh, they start following each other they start following the noise and i think that's exactly what it was there's no reason for those zombies to crowd around that point in the fence um other than there is something in the water that's attracting them. And I think that's the sound of the splashing and or the zombies in the car making that noise. And it wasn't happening before, or at least it wasn't happening in such great degree before because the zombies in the car were a little bit dormant, right? They were in there. There was nothing attracting them until John and Laura rode by. 
Yeah. I, I guess that kind of works. Uh, but it doesn't really explain the smattering of zombies that were showing up on John Dory's shore. You know, one zombie in a day, two well, zombies in a day. I don't think that needs to be explained. I mean, zombies are going to fall in the river at all sorts of different points along the river, not just off the bridge. The occasional one falls off the bridge. Then somebody falls in the river way upstream somewhere and, and floats down. So I don't think it's unbelievable at all that, you know, a zombie would, would show up once or twice here and there, uh, you know, one a day, a couple a day on his beach. And then once the fence on the bridge was breached and there was a big hole there, they seem to say that, the frequency of zombies coming down increased. And I can believe that too, because there was a giant hole and any zombie going across the bridge might just stumble and fall off the bridge. So for me, it all works. Like it's, it's not the most obvious thing in the episode, but it just, it all seems to work for me. And I'm, I I wasn't bothered by it at all. Once I realized that, that um, the crowd was there because of the noise in the water. Okay. I, I, I can accept that. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I had a feeling people would have a problem with that because at first, before I thought it, I thought it through, I sort of felt the same way. Like, why would they all suddenly go to that point? But I think it's there. I think it's explained and, uh, I hope that helps some other people as well. Okay, good. All right. Uh, Gemma in South Wales writes, hi guys. Oh, what a sweet, wonderful episode. It reminded me of Morgan's episode with Eastman's, but better. John Dory, can you just give one big, ah, I love him, a really nice Scrabble-playing fishing gunslinger. His relationship with Laura is very honest and sweet, and I loved it, even though I find her desire to leave annoying. (laughs) (laughs) And I I kind of agree with that. I I just sort of wish she'd stayed with him and they lived happily ever after, but where's Ah, the... She's got demons. She's out trying to outrun her demons. That's right. And where's the drama in, in that? So... Do you think they're going to find, come to, well, I, I assume they're going to find each other, but do you think they're going to be happy to see each other or she's going to be happy to see him when they come across each other again? That's a good question. I don't think it's going to come to that. I think one of them's going to die in a tragic way in front of the other one. Well, as far as we know, she's already dead, remember? That's, she's not dead. That's well, that, that's what Alicia said. I'm just saying what Alicia said. Alicia's wrong. Okay, fair enough. She doesn't know that there are writers that need to, Give us a story. Do you think that Madison and Naomi slash Laura are together somewhere? Maybe prisoners, maybe not. Maybe, I don't know, hanging out, enjoying each other's company, but they're together. Do you think they're holed up in a shack? Maybe. Playing Scrabble, watching old movies? You never know. Falling in love. Falling in love? Yeah. Could be. I don't know. I mean, Leisha said she's dead. We don't know the status of Madison, so they could be together. Uh, and you're right. Maybe I'm thinking maybe they are captive of the vultures or something like that. And John Dory's going to find this out. And he will, of course, want to come up with some sort of rescue plan. And it's going to go probably up shit creek without a paddle. Yeah, could be. <laughs> we'll have to see. But, you know, as uh, Gemma says, this sure was a sweet episode between the two. Rebecca on the internet writes, The first hour of television I have enjoyed in a long, long time. Great episode, and hard to believe it's part of the Walking Dead franchise. I could watch (laughs) John Dory episodes every week. Yeah. I kind of feel that way too right now, but I'm sure it would get old after a while, but damn, he's a good character. 
Yeah, you get John Dory uh, and Laura and, uh, yeah, have them spin off into a new show and go have them go fight crimes. Yeah. They need to fight. It's, that's a requirement, right? Everything I'd say about uh, spinoffs is fighting crime. Uh, you know, I, I think fighting crime is, is great, but I think in this case we have The Walking Dead, then we have Fear the Walking Dead, and now obviously we need Love the Walking Dead, Jason. Yeah. So. And, uh, you know, uh, Dick the Walking Dead? That's what? kind of a, it's like a private dick, a private detective. <laughs> yeah, that's what you meant. <laughs> it took a while to get there, but that's actually what I meant. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. All right. Well, I, I was going to mention that many of the rest of the emails are just sort of praise for this episode, but, uh, you know, that's fine. The next one here comes from Noop J on the internet, and he writes, Wow, give Gimple his own show and he can do amazing things. This was just a great episode. I hope John Dory gets some happiness and finds his gal. Also, I think Morgan has been on every good standalone episode so far. This one, Clear, and the Cheesemaker episode. It's true. It is true. But nice. Maybe that's why he's traveling around going from show to show so that they can have bottle episodes. Yeah, that's right. Let's bring the bottle character from one show to the other one and do a few down here before we call it a night. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Sally on the internet writes, wow, I never thought I would say this. By the way, that's two emails in a row that began with the word wow. That's good. That's exciting. It's better than listen. <laughs> we got enough of those for a while. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> wow, I never thought I would say this, but that was just lovely. Very sweet and endearing. I'm hoping we can get a spinoff called Dharma and Dory. Oh, yeah. The shows tend to be so dark and depressing and unrelentlessly grim, it was nice to see a love story. The male-female dynamic in The Walking Dead also tends to be kind of gross and rapey. This was none of that. And I yeah, agree. There was zero rapey in this episode. None none at all. And, you know, it didn't even come close, I don't think. Well, he did grab her ass right at the beginning. Well, there was that. Could have yeah. gone either way at that point. <laughs> right. I guess so. But as you said, if you're going to roll someone over, you do it by the hips. So That's right. Makes sense. Yeah, I think the spinoff should be called Finding Dharma and Dory. Finding Dharma and Dory. There's so much to unpack in that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, great idea. Dharma and Greg was a good show, right? Like, I, I didn't watch a whole bunch of episodes in vain, did I? Uh, I think you might have, but I don't know, because I remember the show, but I don't remember ever watching it. Well, okay, so it was by the same guy, uh, Chuck Laurie. You know that guy? He yeah, did, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, he does... Uh, I know. What is it called? Breaking... No. The five guys and a lady that are smart. He does the Big Bang Theory, right? That's the one. That's yeah, the yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the one with, the, with that guy that uh, got fired. Two and a half men. <laughs> That's the one. Holy shit, we better end this thing. For a lot of shows I don't watch, I sure seem to know their names. Yeah, no, it's good, though, because I can just throw things at you and you're actually catching what, I, what I'm selling. You know what, man? Uh, it's, my brain is uh, it's, it's after 10 now. It's shutting down. You do this long enough with someone, and you get to be able to read their mind a little bit, I think. Yeah, I'm surprised I pulled Chuck Laurie out of my head, my me, ass, though. Me too, head, to be honest. Ass, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> pulled it out of some orifice. Uh, can I read the next one? Please. All right. It comes from Sean on the internet. Sean writes, I hope the showrunners kill everyone but John Dory. He put a Werther's in his coffee. I thought I was the only one that awesome to do that. In all seriousness, I really dig his character, his quirks, and he makes the show feel fresh. I'm buying Werther's tomorrow. 
I forgot that he did that, and I didn't know that I was a real thing. I'm doing that. Uh, to be honest, I'm anxious to try it myself. I drink very little coffee, and when I do, it's like 50% milk. So I'm going to try coffee. How do, you, how do you order it? When you go to Tim Hortons and you say, give me a I large don't. seven milk. <laughs> no, I don't. I never order it. I've never bought a coffee in a restaurant or in a coffee shop or anything. But sometimes the coffee in the office, I'll drink some of that. I'll pour it and combine it with my own milk. But no, I don't walk in and say, yeah, give me give me a medium coffee, 14 milks, please. It doesn't. You can't do that. <laughs> 14 milk, no sugar. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so anyways, but I'm going to try this too. I'm going to pour some coffee, probably add some milk and melt a Werther's in there. That's a great idea. That is a good idea. I like Werther's. So this is, this might be good. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is, it might open a whole new world of coffee drinking to me. We'll find out. Okay. Lucky in San Antonio writes, I thought about all the, oh, the last two I've got here are less related directly to this, uh, episode, but more of the season in general. Um, so lucky in San Antonio writes, I thought about all the flashbacks this season. Uh, also when Al was recording strand and Alicia, we got flashbacks. What if all the flashbacks of the baseball diamond are of Al talking to Madison? They want to fake us out thinking she's dead, but I think we will find out she is telling her part of the story, which in a way lines up with the way this episode played out because John Dory was telling his story to Morgan. So I just thought if they were doing that on a, on a smaller scale and then a grander scale in terms of the whole season, that might be something, but who knows? Yeah. And, and potentially confusing, but we'll, we'll have to see how it plays out. Yeah. That would be potentially confusing. I think it's funny that John Dory tells Morgan his story and not uh, what's her name with the camera burn. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Total burn on her. <laughs> but you know what? They just drove off and left Morgan and him on the side of the road there. So, yeah. So he's going to he's going to open up when he needs to. And he's closest to Morgan, right? He's Morgan's the first guy that John Dory met. Yeah, he's the first man he's seen in a year. Exactly. And, and uh, Laura's the first woman he's seen in a long time. And I don't think that uh, John Dory, the first thing he did was grab Morgan's ass. What does that tell you? Oh, I I don't know. I'm not so sure at all. <laughs> it's hard to read into that. It it really is. Could go either way. Uh, all right. One more here come from Brian in Lynn, Massachusetts. Brian writes, I had a thought about Fear the Walking Dead, the Morgan crossover, and Frank Delane's decision that he wanted to leave the show. When Nick died at the end of episode three, everyone was shocked that the writers would do such a thing. But it was soon revealed that it was Frank's decision to leave the show. There was speculation that Frank was not happy with the direction that the show was going, what with having a time jump, bringing on new characters, and having the crossover. But my thought was, what if Frank's decision to leave was actually the first thing that happened? After that, the show started scrambling, trying to come up with a new plan going forward. I was wondering if a Walking Dead crossover would ever have been considered if nothing had changed with the Frank Delane situation. One thing that could have happened first was Frank hearing about Dave Erickson being replaced and being upset enough about that to ask to be let go. But that could still that could have still happened before any other events took place. I could be wrong about all of this, but it was just a thought. What do you guys think? So Frank Delane leaving the show is sort of what triggered the crossover. 
um, and you know all these new characters and things like that. I think it's plausible. It is plausible. I think that you know him leaving because he didn't like the direction of the show and cast members being added and uh, that kind of stuff. I I don't really believe that because you know he's a, what twenty five. 26 year old actor. Uh, he's on a popular show. He's getting interest and his agents being called a lot and he's got some opportunities to do some other stuff. And maybe he's not having as much fun as he thought he would have when he first started. He, when he first started, like I'm going to be playing this recovering drug addict. And then next thing you know, that's completely forgotten. Right. Right. Uh, it's completely a non-issue now, or, you know, he's dead now. So absolutely a non-issue, but you know, he might be just like, Fuck it, I want to go do a Marvel movie. Everybody else is going to be in a Marvel movie. Why can't I be in a Marvel movie? <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> you know, I you know if I'm hard up enough, I might do a DC movie, but, uh, you know, Marvel's the place to be, so, you know, fuck it, I'm just going to leave. You know what? I, like like every other British actor, he's already done a Harry Potter movie, so he's oh, he's yeah. got that under his belt, but you're right. That's he's good. 27, by the way, but you're, you're, you weren't that far off, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, he's young. Maybe he's just like, I've done three years of this show. I'm going to be on board for a fourth one, or at least part of it. After that, I need to move on and do something different. Yeah, maybe I maybe he just wants to learn how to write JavaScript and go and be a <laughs> web developer. Maybe. Some, you know, who some wouldn't? people just, who knows? Yeah, who wouldn't? I, just, uh, I think that the, the kind of thing where you f- hear that actors didn't like the direction the show was going and that there was all this other stuff going on. That really strikes me as something that um, somebody with a lot bigger ego mm. would have those kinds of issues. And, you know, Frank Delane doesn't strike me as that kind of egotistical actor. Well, he just wants to do other stuff. Maybe. You know, The Walking Dead is, you know, this is fun and everything. I make some cash. You know, I bought a house. I bought a car. Uh, you know, I have... I, you know, I just want to go do something else and learn JavaScript. Fuck it. Sure. Fair enough. I, I do think, though, that his that the idea that his decision to leave the show had a big impact on the direction of the show actually is a pretty plausible scenario. Right. Like he's a main character, an important character, a fan favorite character. And to him, for him to be completely on board and be like, I'm sticking around here for as long as this show runs, they they have to make it i mean they don't have to but that's that's one um that's one thing and to him for him to come along and be like i'm done i want to move on that's a that's a big shift and they they're going to do some stuff or it affects the writing it affects everything right when a big character like that leaves kind of unexpectedly because maybe there was a big grand plan going forward for season 4 5 6 and so on that involved nick but now he's not going to be there anymore, and it wasn't the decision of the writers or creators to remove him from the show. It was his own decision. So I think it does have a great effect on the show, or potentially could. In terms of what happened here, if if these new characters or anything like that were um, brought in because he decided to leave, who the hell knows? But anything's possible, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not sure what came first. It's hard to say. Really? Yeah, that's right. We, we we really don't know, but it's fun to speculate sometimes. Maybe maybe he had a big fight with his mom, and he uh, quit the show for spite because she, <laughs> for some reason, it would really piss her off. Could have been anything. I have no idea. That's that's the, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, there's there's really just no idea. But uh, you know, interesting little little tidbit I thought there. So thank you, Brian, for sending that in. All right, 
That is all of our feedback and all of our discussion about Fear the Walking Dead Season 4, Episode 5. So that is going to do it. Um, Jason, our next podcast will be about Episode 6 next Monday. We are both in town. Neither of us are traveling. However, Monday is a holiday in Canada. Oh, it's a holiday. That's right. Monday is Victoria Day, also known as May 2-4, the unofficial start to summer in this country. But I don't think that's going to affect anything at all, right? We're just going to record like normal on Monday evening and get that. Yeah, I don't care. Podcast comes first. <laughs> Podcast more important than the Queen's birthday. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> Definitely to me anyways. Uh, so what I like about that, though, is it makes life a little bit easier because I don't have to get up and go to work all day on Monday. I can get up. I can get a tea or a coffee in Werther's and watch the episode, you know, on my own time and not have to frantically rush to get it done and all those sorts of things. So um, I'm looking forward to that this weekend. Me too. I forgot that it was a long weekend. The nice thing about it is I get Friday off too. So four day weekend, baby. Why do you, why do you get Friday off? My office just decides to close sometimes on long weekends and get an extra day. So we're doing that this week. Shit. Great. You know what, you know what, long weekends mean to me these days um one extra work day until work starts again <laughs> uh no it means that uh, the, the the week following a long weekend i have four days to complete five days worth of work well i think a lot of people go through that but man when you're off on that day it still feels pretty good it yeah i'm looking forward to it i think it's gonna be fantastic next week can suck it yeah that's, exactly that's a next week problem man yeah Okay, well, that's going to happen, so our podcast should be unaffected. It will be coming out on schedule next Monday night. I look forward to that. Um, In the meantime, if you would like to get in touch with us, by all means, visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com and click on Send Voicemail up there on the top menu, or just use your phone to uh, record a voice memo and email that to us. That's a great way of doing it as well. You can send those emails to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. And just one note real quick, um, when we are going to deviate from the schedule, I always post something on the Facebook page uh, just letting people know. And do my, I do my best to sort of give an idea of when the podcast will come out. So I know that doesn't work for everyone because not everyone uses Facebook. But if you do, that's a good way to uh, keep abreast of the situation visit our facebook page at facebook.com slash the talking dead all right there's only one more thing to do before we call it a night here jason i don't know what that is well what is is it i'm I'm very anticipatory all right you have to tell me what word you hear when i play this laurel laurel what is it laurel oh my god what is the problem with you people i do not you hear, hear the other one i hear the other one yeah so I hear Yanny, and really, my daughter Isabel hears Yanny. My daughter Sophie hears Laurel, and apparently you hear Laurel. I hear Laurel. <laughs> Crazy. Anyways, I needed to do that, but you did not validate me at all, because I don't hear Laurel at all. <laughs> well, it has to do with uh, frequency, right? Yeah, I know, but still, I just want everyone to hear it the same way as me, because I'm right, and you guys are all wrong. <laughs> all right. Until Monday, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao, ciao.